Life Issues with Vicky Gibbons on UCB One. The COVID pandemic had already affected the progress being made in the UK towards ending poverty. Then came the month-on-month increase to inflation, arriving at the highest rates in more than 40 years, outstripping wage and benefit increases. And then Russia's invasion of Ukraine and soaring energy prices has exacerbated the financial burden on many households. But there are those, like Christians Against Poverty, who are desperately trying to help those wanting to counteract the cost of living crisis. In 2022, UCB is partnering with a charity. I'm Vicky Gibbons, and in this special edition of Life Issues, let's start by hearing directly from a client of CAP. Nicole, describe to us what caused you to need this charity's help. Oh, wow. Well, I'd really spiralled into debt um, from about 2008 from trying to travel to university and help support my family with my mum and my younger brother at home. Um, started off with just little little debts and it soon kind of climbed from there. Um, my mum became ill with two strokes, so she was unable to work. We took in family and friends to try and help support them and it ended up being a house of seven and only two people paying into the house. Um, Money went missing, uh, rent wasn't paid, council tax wasn't paid, and gas and electric wasn't paid. Um, It got a bit too much, and the partner I was with at the time, he he, he said, right, we're going to go our own way and we'll have a house. It was in my name, but I had no control over the money. It was a very toxic relationship, and I'd get my monthly salary in, and it'd be gone, and I couldn't tell you where it went. I have no idea. I thought bills were paid. They weren't. Um, after a few years of, of finally getting letters and bailiffs at my door, I'd hide from the door. I wouldn't answer my phone. I'd ignore letters. It got to the point where I thought, I can't do this anymore. The relationship broke down and my mum, <laughs> my saviour as ever, said, come on, we'll get a house together. We'll f- do it 50-50 and, and we'll do it. She was actually working with Cap because she was in debt. And that's when I thought, I need help. I can't do this anymore. It sounds like a a lot of different factors that were going on, including what you said about, you know, your mum's own health deteriorating at one point, which beyond money is stressful in and of itself, isn't it? Definitely. Well, that led, we were, my mum, I'd just started to work with Cap. And we were finally getting on an even keel. I was paying money in, we'd worked out a budget and then my mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So I had to stop work and I became her full-time carer. I was on universal credit. We went a whole month without me having any money because that's just how long it ha- you had to wait. And we were struggling <laughs> and it was only through CAP and our local church that we survived that really. Um, so yeah, but her health was... It's a hard thing to deal with without the added pressure of debt. (laughs) Explain that example of universal credit, because we hear this idea that it takes about four or five weeks before those payments start coming through. In that time, practically, what does it mean to life? It's a choice between do you pay your rent, do you heat your house or can you have food? My mum was able to cover the rent, but then you need to heat your home. You need to have your lights on and we need to cook. We had my nephew living with us, who was five or six at the time. He needed feeding. We were getting no income from him. There was no money 
claimed for him. And then I had a baby <laughs> who needed feeding. It was, yeah, it's tricky decisions. And it was heat or eat at many a time. And for that four or five weeks with no income at all, it was hard. It was so tough. We did it, again, through help from other people. But it, it's a situation that you just, yeah, you, you can't do anything about. It's hopeless. <laughs> Even when you then start to receive universal credit, is it enough? No, no, it's not. It's bare minimum. Um, again, you have to budget your money. Thankfully, I learned that through CAV at this point. But yeah, it's not enough. And you do have to scrimp and save and you still have to make those decisions of, right, we need to turn the heating off now. Um, or you'll go without a meal. You make sure the kids are eating and you don't constant choices every day yeah where were your own anxiety levels what was happening with your mental health I took a big tumble um I've always been a bit of an anxious person but the debt just magnified that like I said I would ignore my phone the door would go I'd be physically panicking and shaking if I did answer the phone I'd be thinking oh no who's it going to be I would avoid calling people to even get help. And then when my mum passed away, I took a dive and I ended up having to be on medication for anxiety. I was having panic attacks. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. I just, the, to me, there was no way out. And my mental health really suffered, really suffered through that. You've touched on a few times that you got involved with CAP and you started to learn new skills. So what was that whole process like? Your mum obviously initially was getting support. Yeah. So it wasn't, was it scary approaching them knowing her own experience? Yeah, no, it was still scary it was. because it's still, oh, that judgment on me. I, you know, I've got in this mess and it's a shameful thing. Um, but they can't put you at ease straight away from that very initial phone call. You're put at ease and you think, right, okay. And they help you believe you can do it. It isn't as simple as Cap just say, right, here you go, this is solved. You have to put the work in. And it is hard work, but it's, it's the reward at the end is amazing. And they really helped me. They set up a budget and said, right, they knew my incomings and what needed to be paid. And they worked with me to say, right, this is what you can afford. Do you think that fits? And things had to change. Things, you know, things would change month to month, but... As long as I was in constant contact with CAP, they made it easier and I learnt to budget and I learnt to plan my meals and I even learnt to cook. <laughs> it's one of those life skills I never had before, but it all helps, so yeah. And obviously it took much more than just one phone call. Lots of, is, is it phone calls? Is it face-to-face? -face? How how do they coordinate It's a it? mixture. So at first it's an initial phone call and then someone comes out to your house, a cat worker. In my case, I got Tim. Um, and then they have a befriender with them as well. So because um, we were female, me and my mum, and Tim was male, they'd have a female um, befriender with them. That helped that the woman who came with him actually was from our church. We'd only just started to go, but just knowing that there was another friendly face, that helped. Um, and then Tim would come and... I could blurt out my story and my situation. Very complicated in times, but he'd listen. He would take on board everything I was saying and then they'd come up with a plan. And then they'd offer to pray, <laughs> which at first I thought, oh, okay, but we'll give it a go. And well, it was the best thing they did. But 
yeah, they, they're with you throughout and then you have constant contact with head office. They give you a monthly statement every month so you know where you're at. You can see your debts being paid off. Mm. And it's like, oh, wow. And when one little one would go, I thought, oh, great, I'm finally getting somewhere. Um, so they, it does help having that con- continual contact with them. It must be so releasing, so freeing, as you say, to see the debt coming down and knowing yeah. that you're actually in control and you're responsible for doing that. Oh, gosh, yeah. It gives, Cap gives you that control back because being in debt, it's horrible. It's a dark place. There were times, even through Cap, I thought this isn't going to end. Situations would change, my mum's health would decline and I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I don't know how I, how I can. My budget was changed a few times and the path I had to take changed. It wasn't as straightforward as, okay, you can afford to pay it off. Different routes had to be looked at. At one point I was going to have to do a debt relief order. I didn't want to do that, but that was the only thing, I, I couldn't afford it anymore. Um, and CAP won't let you suffer. They want to help you and they will find out what's the best route for you. And they will always communicate that with you all the way through. Alongside all the practical stuff, what about your emotional, your spiritual journey as well? Because so much was happening for you. As you said, you lost your mum. You became a mum yourself as well. What was all of that like for you? Oh, do you know what? I don't think I could have done it without cap or church and I think if I hadn't have found Jesus before this I don't I don't think I could do it I often look at people and think wow how do they get through these things without faith um it was very early on with cap that I joined the church um three weeks later from joining the church my mum got her diagnosis of terminal cancer we knew then well my mum knew that she was put in the right place that God knew she needed that support and I needed that support my faith grew from that and it helped when I would hit rock bottom. I was able to turn to someone, mainly Tim from CAP, who would pray with me. And I finally started to realise, oh, that feeling I feel at church when I'm praying or I'm worshipping. Oh, I can have that when I'm on the phone and Tim or CAP are praying with me. And that helped me realise, oh, I can do that as well. <laughs> I can actually talk to God whenever. And that really helped, really helped me on my journey, definitely. So before that, had you had any kind of connection with the church? Yeah, I always classed myself as a Christian. I was like, I'm not a bad person. Um, I always believed in something, um, but I never really had a church connection. We, my mum... My mum always did. She would always read us the Bible, especially as children, and she she could quote the Bible. She was born off in the Salvation Army. She, you know, she was strong. But when we found church in Crew, it was like a whole other other feeling. It was only in a sports hall. I was very dubious. I was like, okay, yeah, we'll do this. <laughs> but as soon as I walked in, I was filled with this warmth and this joy. And it was someone in church prayed for me. I hadn't said anything. No one knew my situation. I was really, really low. And one of the ladies in front just turned to me halfway through worship and said, can I pray for you? And I was like, okay. The warmth, I literally felt this tingling from my fingers to my toes. And it sounds really weird, but I was just like, wow. And everything she was saying was how I felt and what was going on in my head. I hadn't even told my mum this. And that's when I knew, yeah, God's in this. God's got me here. I know I'm going to be okay. (laughs) 
Where are you at now today here with us? Because you're sitting with a big beam on your face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I am debt free, which is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I, it's nearly a year. And I still, if I'm talking to people, I'm like, oh, I'm debt free. <laughs> um, I'm still active in my church who have been a blessing. They've been amazing. I did lose my mum coming up to two years ago now. Um, but I know where she is. I know she's with Jesus and I know I'll see her again. So it is very sad and I have days obviously where it's devastating. But just to know that promise that she's okay now, that gets me through. And having friends from CAP like Tim, they're still in my life now. Even when they rang me to say I was debt free, it wasn't, okay, you're done now. They asked me, do you need help going forward? Can we help you with this? If you need us, call us and we'll help. So it's not just a shut shut the door. Mm. And so, yeah, to know that and, and to know that they've got the faith as well and they're working with God is a big relief and a big help. And what about family life? Oh, well, so I have my little boy. He's coming up to five. Um, I've I recently reconnected with his father, um, not the toxic relationship that we had before. <laughs> and things are going really, really well. I'm sharing my faith with him. He's asking more questions. So yeah. I think God's got his hand in that too. And and finally, I'm I'm using the budget that Cap helped me build and I apply that every day. I do my shopping list. I stick to my shopping list. I'm prepping more food. And it's a whole life skill that Cap have taught me really. And I think that I'll keep that now forever. And I, I, I hope I never, ever go back into debt. And I don't think I will if I follow this path and and stick to the lessons that I have learned Definitely. Nicole, we appreciate your honesty, your bravery in sharing your story. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you. You're listening to Life Issues on UCB. I'm Vicky Gibbons, bringing you a special episode to highlight our 2022 charity partnership with Christians Against Poverty. Nicole is just one of the more than 25,000 people who've gone debt free through CAP support in the last 25 years. The organisation is led by Paula Stringer. I actually uh, have only been at CAP for three years um, and obviously it's 25 years old now, so I'm relatively new by comparison. And uh, if you'd have asked me just over three years ago whether I would be uh, doing what I'm doing at Christians Against Poverty, I probably would have said no. But that's not because I didn't feel called, because I didn't know that that's where God wanted me. Um, I've got a, a... a journey that we went went through myself and my husband many years before um, and we ended up going through a a very traumatic bankruptcy. We owned and ran a business. Uh, It was a deli and coffee shop and restaurant uh, locally to us where we lived. Uh, My husband ran it. I actually still had um, a separate job. I worked for the BBC actually and um, it was going really well but Unfortunately, uh, during the recession, we had just expanded the business um, and it was going to be tight financially for a, a short amount of time. And it, it, it coincided with the um, recession basically hitting the local high street and also a, another large chain coffee shop opening around the corner. And despite our best efforts, it basically took our business out and um from that happening, my husband ended up uh, very poorly. He had a, a nervous breakdown 
and ended up suicidal actually and we went through an extremely difficult few years um he he didn't really leave the house very much i certainly couldn't work he uh, uh, turned into someone that i think you know most of us didn't know um just because he was so unwell and although we we came out of the other side of that i say we went through a bankruptcy process um it remained a conversational point for Dan and I, my husband, um, just how difficult and traumatic that experience had been for us as a couple and as a family, how hard it had been to get through. Uh, you know, Dan and I are members of a church, have been for many, many years. We are absolutely clear and believe that um, God works all things together for good to those who love him um, and we knew that he had his hand in it but it doesn't mean to say at the time it wasn't extremely difficult um, and we often talked about how how difficult that experience was and and wondered how other people who had significantly less actually managed to get through that situation uh, not knowing at the time that actually God specifically would use that experience and it wasn't very long after we'd actually paid our last payment back to one of the local suppliers. We didn't have to pay people back but we chose to in small incremental payments over the following uh, four or five years and um, it was not very long after we paid the last payment that um, I found a, a, an envelope come through my front door. My father had sent me um, a letter, well, it was actually a job profile with a sticker stuck on it saying, just read me. Um, and I did, and it was the job description for Christians Against Poverty. And the rest, as they say, is history. And it was very clear to me very early on, on reading that, that this is actually where God wanted me to be. As a couple, it sounds like you had the knowledge, you had the skills to be able to change that situation but for an awful lot of other individuals and clients that you now meet that just isn't the case oh no and we actually uh, contacted a number of different um, agencies uh, and individuals who on the surface of it when we read about them were going to help us through the process of actually going bankrupt or insolvency um, and every time they realised that we'd got nothing, we'd got no assets whatsoever, a house in negative equity um, and we'd had to hand the car back which was on a kind of higher purchase um, monthly payment they, they, they stopped answering our calls so they would come and offer us hope and then walk away and then literally just, they would not answer emails, they wouldn't answer phone calls and I've never, I don't think I've actually felt that desperate before um now as it happened a friend of ours um offered us someone that they worked with and said i'm going to cover this he's going to help you walk through this process i i honestly don't know what we would have done if that if god hadn't provided that particular support so the idea that anybody can just easily walk through uh, an insolvency process is I mean, in my mind, having gone through it, I mean, it is not. A, it is a complex thing. Mm. I found it complex. Um, so there's no. I, I don't know how anyone else does it without any support. I mean, you, 
I can understand why people hide. Mm. And yet we talk about poverty as if it's such a straightforward problem. But <sighs> what you're describing just is one example of, of yeah. the complexities of poverty because it can be a financial shock like the recession or the pandemic that we've just been living through. Indeed. But there can be many other factors as well. Yeah, poverty um, and debt is it's not it's never just one thing. Um, there are there are obviously many different types of poverty. Material poverty is only one part to it. Um, you know, there is uh, relational poverty uh, and, and and social poverty, and I think that that's certainly been an issue over the last two years with COVID and isolation. Um, obviously, there there is. A, spiritual poverty as well but in terms of material poverty which is obviously we we deal we try to deal cap tries to deal with um poverty in the most holistic way uh, and that's why we look at material spiritual relational uh why we do it with the church uh and why we step into people's homes to try and go okay what can we put around you to support you um the interesting thing is that material poverty in itself, when you ask someone who is living in debt and poverty to tell you about their situation, they will rarely talk about the practical things. They'll rarely talk about the amount of debt they're in. They will talk about how they feel, how it has made them feel, how ashamed they are. And that in itself tells you really clearly um, about how all-consuming it is that this is not something that is I've just got I owe some money and I can I can then kind of close the door on that and get on with my life it, it's it pervades all of your interactions and well I remember it for me it felt like every waking moment when we were going through it do you think we have to approach it differently as we look to different parts of the world then, because sometimes we can fall into the trap of comparing poverty here in the UK to developing countries, which is completely different. I think that's a really good question. Um, I think, interestingly, um, I think it's exactly the same thing. Uh, the, the core root is, is, is about, it's about a broken relationship with, with our creator. Um, I think that it's got different outworkings in different um, countries and we can see that. Um, I think that the feelings of shame and disempowerment and judgment, you can talk to, to someone in, a, in, a, in the developing world and someone in the UK and they will describe the same kinds of feelings. Um, but I know that someone might look at someone who's in the developing world and go, hang on a minute, you know, this is not the same thing. Well, relative poverty is a very real thing. And if you were in the situation that you were on a zero hour contract job and you were diagnosed with an illness that meant you needed to take some time out of work, that therefore you weren't going to get paid. Not, none of this is, you know, anything you can do about it. You weren't therefore going to get paid. And then when you were well enough to go back to work, someone else had taken your job and your, your debts were mounting up and therefore you don't turn on your heat. You sell everything that you can possibly sell. You, it, it's very quickly you can get to the point where you are sitting alone in a cold home that you can't afford, that is going to get taken away from you, not able to eat properly and not able to um, afford to, you know, 
just the basics. So I think it's a, a both an interesting and probably unfair comparison because God's plan was not to have either of these things. That was his, his come to restore that relationship, the brokenness, and wherever we find ourselves in the world, if God has put me in the UK, then I believe that he's put me here to, to also support and help those people that are my neighbours around me. And you are carrying this three-point vision, if you like, and one of those elements, those core first kind of groundings of the vision is about transformation. Tell us a bit about what that's been like, because obviously Christians Against Poverty, everyone thinks of John Kirkby, the founder and his story. Yes. And yet it's grown and expanded so much in various parts of the world. And now you carry a fresh vision for the organisation. Yes, we do. Um, It was really at the beginning of last year, uh, the year post-COVID 2020, and uh, John was about to step down and uh, myself and my leadership team um, decided that this was the time that we needed to really seek God fervently and say, what is it that you are saying to cap for the, you know, where, where do you want us to focus in the future? Um, and what's your vision for the world that you want to see and what's cap's part to play in it essentially? Mm-hmm. And, um, we did a significant amount of work, even just looking at the the theology that the Bible and what that actually says about debt and poverty, um, and and about you know even from creation about you know making sure that we we were we were given work is a good thing, you know we were all made equal. There is no one, you know, rich or poor, it doesn't matter to God, and and just kind of revisiting those basic clear truths and and God just started to speak to us and and we're um, really clear about what God is has said to cap um we are you know there's no, there's not a huge difference in terms of the fact that we are still a debt and poverty charity but we've got a clear focus and what we want to see the world that we believe God wants to see is that we want to see transformed lives thriving churches and an end to UK poverty. And this is a huge vision, uh, but our God is huger. Great grammar, I know. Uh, And he is a huge God. And I believe that we've got a significant part to play in what is ahead for the UK in the next uh, five to 10 years at the very least, um, because I believe that he wants to to, um, shake shake out the church up in this country. And yet, Paula, the pandemic, it has been pivotal, sadly, in actually taking backward steps. Yes. Some of the progress that has been made in in tackling poverty, particularly when we look to children living in poverty, the numbers are just escalating. Yes, they are. They've been been growing gradually, which is terrible in itself, growing gradually um, over the last decade. Um, That has accelerated. And we've now got more than four million children that are living in poverty in this country. It's outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it has definitely... COVID has, has basically um, grown the gap between the rich and the poor over the over the last two years. Um, things weren't great before the pandemic, but I can tell you that all that's happened is that that's actually got worse. So we, we're, we've got 
even more of a job to do now than we did before. But I re- I think that's why God has given us a really clear focus, a really clear vision um, and, and some really strong, practical tools, products and services to offer the church because that's what we need to do. We have to in- inspire and equip the churches across the UK to see them help people out of poverty in their communities and to see them become followers of Jesus. There's the only the only way a person's life is really transformed is through Jesus. Let's talk levelling up. We, of course, need to go there, given the government's blueprint that has been shared, this white paper. From their perspective, spreading opportunity more equally across the country. Is poverty just about geographical location, this whole history of the north-south divide from what you experience? No. Um, I think there's there's... There are pockets all over the UK. You know, someone down in Cornwall who's, you know, down south um, would say that it's not got nothing to do with the north and south divide. Um, I think that it, it is, in fact, if you actually look at it, you've got um, Bangladeshi communities and Pakistani communities and the black community, you know, they've got certainly higher rates of poverty and it doesn't matter whether they're in the north or the south. Um, I think it's far more complicated than just a north and south divide. Uh, I think obviously levelling up and the money that the government is distributing is, is, is a good thing. I think clarity on how people and communities um, can access that money for it to be of any use to someone on the ground who is going through a a difficult situation needs to be made much clearer. Is this some of the issue when it comes to poverty and deprivation? Part of the government strategy is, of course, about education. It's about employment opportunity. It's about healthcare. There are so many strands to it. But I also wonder, you know, the conversation about financial literacy as well. Where does that fit in? So we've been in that conversation for a, a long time. Um, this starts with, you know, we've got to make sure that people, it's called financial inclusion. And, and that is basically, that's your basics. For a start, having access to an actual a bank account and then um, having enough knowledge of products and services that are around there and and being able to actually, if you like, understand them well enough to use them. So, I think it's there's a whole raft of initiatives, um, but there's very little education um, around and about. And we know this because we provide financial education. In fact, we're the biggest provider of face-to-face um, financial management budgeting courses in the whole of the UK, uh, which is fantastic. But it's also awful because we, you know, there are we we we, we have not reached enough people yet. They are designed to, to, to give people confidence in how to manage their money well. It's very, very simple and yet so powerful to be really clear about exactly what is coming in to your uh, household or, or your account and exactly what your outgoings are and, and actually setting yourself some boundaries and limits that in itself, just making small choices, actually may- means that people feel in control. It's not, it's not a complex p- 
procedure and yet people often want to hide from that kind of information it's it, they'd rather not know almost what they're spending on that little plastic card and it doesn't take very much for it to to, to just completely get out of control we've seen it time and time again so that leads us on to thinking about when families are struggling particularly at this point in time when we're facing rising living costs when we know about the energy bills that are going to many families are going to get stung many families we're hearing will be turning to universal credit and the social security system what about some of the attitudes do you think there still is a negativity towards those parts of society who have to get that support yes uh, and I think that there is a a stigma in, involved or a felt stigma. I don't think it's actually there, but I think that that's what people feel. Um, and and lots of people will avoid will try anything to avoid going on universal credit or any kind of social security. Um, and but that it is there for for such times as as this. Um, and if you are a person that is actually struggling to make ends meet or you have somehow um, lost uh, your job, whatever it is, it is, the, it is the, one of the best ways to get you through that period of time. Explain a, a bit more about universal credit, how it works, and I guess from the clients that you see, the kind of people accessing it, because... I guess individuals we haven't spoken of are people who are disabled, people who are providing caring support. Um, quite often, those are the kinds of individuals who need that additional support through the social security system. Correct. Yeah. Um, there are a number of, of of roles within our society that are, in effect, unpaid roles, and that a carer being a brilliant example of that. If you are a carer. You are a needed and vital part of our society, but you're not necessarily remunerated for that. So we do have lots of carers that are on universal credit. Uh, universal credit in itself is a, a useful uh, mechanism. Of course it is. Um, but arguably, it is not enough to live on long term. Uh, and I mentioned earlier about actually you know, work in itself being a mechanism that, or something, a gift that God actually gave us right at the start. And I believe that he wants us, us all where we can to be in fruitful labour, because I think that there is something inherent in us. There's a, there is a, a sense of achievement and of uh, well-being that, that we all derive from that God-given gift. But if we're in a situation, if you're in a situation where you cannot work because you've got either a caring duty or you you simply are you've got a disability or something like that then as a society of course we have to provide for for people like that that are in need um and at the moment i don't believe that we're doing that well enough beyond the debt management courses then what else can cap do because if we go back to that individual as you said before who's in work but they're on a low income. Is that individual, are they always going to be able to be upskilled and earn the top salaries that's going to support their lifestyle so that things become affordable? Because that isn't the answer for everyone, is it? 
It's not the answer for everyone. Um, I, I think, I mean, one thing that we have called for and we would still like to see is a cost of living review across the board. I think if we could really understand the true cost of living and benchmark properly, then that would make a significant difference to where we actually pitch um, whether that's uh, social security or whether it's minimum wages um, and, and even you know zero-hour contracts uh, and things like that. Um, there are jobs out there that haven't been filled and need filling. Um, and I think what, as, what we do actually organisationally is, um, you know, we run, yes, we run budgeting and financial management courses, but we also run uh, job clubs and life skills courses, uh, job clubs in them in of themselves, um, they help people get back into work when they haven't actually had any success with the government schemes. And sometimes that's about reskilling. Um, sometimes it's actually about you know entrepreneurialism or entrepreneurship, um, and actually looking at um, you know setting up their own business. There are opportunities. It's not always easy. Not everyone's going to be a CEO, but everybody should expect to be working for a salary and a wage that means that they can meet the basic needs of every human and every family in this country. And if it doesn't do that, then we've got something wrong. And we, we've talked about employment. We've talked about salaries. Part of this must also be the housing crisis and what's happening in terms of accessibility, because so many people in, in poverty are social renters or in the private sector as well, uh, let alone those perhaps now struggling with, with mortgage payments because yeah. of inflation. Yeah, uh, the vast majority of people we speak to are actually in rented accommodation. They don't own their houses. They've got absolutely, you know, n no assets, no tangible assets whatsoever. Um, and we speak to a significant number of people who are already um, th that are in arrears on their not just their their rent, but also um, council tax arrears. We've got millions and millions of people who are in arrears on council tax. And we've got a significant lack of affordable housing uh, to buy and to rent. Um, I, I remember talking to one of our debt coaches in Bradford uh, and he was telling me that they've got an influx of people being moved from London to Bradford. Um, in, and this was all about the housing crisis. There were no more homes in London. And so they've moved these people and these families out of the place where actually they effectively had their support systems and where they grew up all the way to Bradford because it's cheaper and they they managed to find some some homes. I mean, that's it says it all, doesn't it, that you've got to move people out of one city because there aren't any homes left all the way to another city. One, because it's cheaper. And two, I mean, we're moving a problem around. Mm. And what we need to be doing is looking at how to solve that. We have to build or create more affordable housing to rent and to buy. Let's come full circle because at the start you said that third part of your vision for Christians Against Poverty is about ending poverty yes. in the UK. It is a celebration, isn't it? Every time you have a client and you see the transformation that can be made and the positivity that you bring to them so that they can look to their future and see the possibilities in front of them rather than the hopelessness of where they have been. You know, we've always maintained at CAP that it's it's for the one, if you like. And it, if 
if all we did was the one then that would still have been worth it. Obviously, it's not. We, you know, we believe that God's got more for us than that. But every single individual person that goes debt-free or that even interacts with us and walks away slightly more hopeful, we, we take that as, as, a, as a gift from God. You know, we are here as his hands and feet on this earth. We celebrate every single person that goes debt-free. Uh, we used to get together, uh, when we were together um, in head office, we would, um, you know, celebrate with harmonicas and dancing. Uh, we still do that, but it's more of an, if we have to, when we're working from home, it virtual. has to be yeah, virtual <laughs> uh, cheer. Um, and we will continue to do that for as long as CAP exists. Um, and ultimately what we would like to see is millions and millions of celebrations as as people are lifted and raised out of poverty. And, and that's what we're going to work towards. That's what we're focusing on mm. in the coming years. Going back to that conversation you had, thinking theologically about the motivation of why you do what you do, because it's not necessarily Christian individuals who are in financial difficulty who come to you. This is for all in our society. But explain a bit more about what drives you from a biblical perspective. Right from the very start, after the fall, you know, it, it was clear, God made it clear that it was our responsibility to, to look after the, the, the orphan and the widow and the poor. When you uh, look at the commandments uh, that Moses um, speaks of, where you leave um, the edges of your field for those who are less well off than you, it is, it is literally just baked into scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And Jesus makes it explicitly clear. I mean, not only that, he hangs around with people who are, are not the, the political, well-off heroes of society. He goes to the fishermen and he, he hangs around with people that are just your salt of the earth and makes it really clear that our job that we are mandated to love and support and care for. You just need to look at the two, you know, the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment. You know, these two things, again, speak of, yes, love love the Lord your God, but love your neighbour. Well, my neighbour is not just Claire who lives next door. It's everyone that I come into contact with and I'm not loving them if I am not seeing the struggle that they're having, and then seeing what I can do about it. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set the prisoners free. We are his hands and feet. That means that's, that is our job to do. And I, I don't think you could turn a page of the Bible and not read in it somewhere that there is an implicit calling upon us as his children to stand in the gap. He's with us. We're not doing it alone. But it, it, is, it is literally, it is chocker, chocker through, all the way through the Bible. Paula, remind us the opportunities then that Christians Against Poverty presents to us, how we can be a part of standing in the gap, really practically. CAP only works 
with and in partnership with the local church. We don't do any of this without the church. Um, and one of the things that we want to do more of is to, to inspire more churches and more people to actually see the implicit call that's upon them as a Christian. To, to see and to, to open our eyes more clearly to the needs that are around us in our own communities and to plant where God has actually put us. Um, we're always looking for people that will work with us. We're looking for churches that will partner with us because where in every single community there is need and every single community has a church. So if you are in a church and you know that there are people in and around your community that are struggling, that are in debt, poverty, struggling on low incomes, then get in touch with CAP because we have the products, the services um, and the and the skills to support you in supporting those people in and around your community. And if you can't do that, if, if for whatever reason that's not within your gift, then you can pray for us. Uh, you know, our work, um, the 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 health of our um, staff for courage to, to stand up for the gospel um, and to step into people's homes and to keep on supplying their needs. And of course, what we do uh, comes at a cost. So if you are um, able to, you can give us a gift. It costs, uh, we, we estimate that it costs about £23 uh, to cover the cost of two people's first call into CAP. So even £23 makes a big difference to two people who are phoning in, nervous as anything, wanting our help, uh, knowing or hoping that we can help. So, yeah, it's uh, I always put this as a kind of give, act, pray. Any one of those things is is fantastic and, and you know, useful to us. Let me recap that all important website, capuk.org. Paula Stringer is the CEO of Christians Against Poverty. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. And we'd also like to thank Rebecca Smith, who's produced this week's special episode of Life Issues, focusing on UCB's 2022 charity partnership. I hope you'll join us next time for a new podcast episode and do access the rest of the Life Issues series via the UCB Player app.